Today we are here with Stephen. I'm about to ask a question that's really hard for a podcast because it involves raising of hands, but raise your hand if you've been to Universal within the past 72 hours. I have. (laughs) (laughs) That would be all of us. And Peter. Hey, everyone. Happy to be here. So we're going to start it off easy. Let's go with, well, you just said who you are. Your house, your Patronus, and your favorite book. All right. So my house is Slytherin. My Patronus is a raven. I know that's kind of a weird combination, right? Even though an eagle is the mascot for Ravenclaw, but the movies kind of screwed it up. Um, And what was the other question? I kind of went on a a little tangent there. Favorite book is Chamber of Secrets. That, yeah, I, I yeah, I see your faces kind of like what? <laughs> we don't get that one a lot. Yeah, that's it. Like I, I personal feelings about Chamber aside, having done about 55-ish episodes of this podcast at this point, I don't know how many times we've gotten Chamber as an answer. So what is it about Chamber for you that really stands out? I love the mystery surrounding Chamber of Secrets. Now, what is this voice that Harry's hearing? What is the Chamber of Secrets? There's also a lot of comedy in Chamber of Secrets. Gilderoy Lockhart, even though he's crazy, is hysterical in the books. He is so funny in Chamber of Secrets. Um, so it's it's really just the mystery and the comedy of the books that I love so much. I just think it's a great, great story. You know, speaking of mysteries, a personal mystery of mine, Peter, has been how old you are so i'm curious (laughs) when like where does your potter journey begin like did you because i because let me preface by saying i could see you saying hey i grew up with the books i also could see you saying guys i'm like surprisingly 55 and i just have a really good skincare routine um so so where does your potter journey begin it begins in uh 1999 so a year after sorcerer's stone was released in the u.s um, Philosopher's Stone was released in 97 in the UK. Um, so 99, and I was 12 years old. So I'm not 55 with a great skin routine, uh, but but I, I just turned 34 um, March 5th, so Friday. Well, happy belated, first off. Well, thank you. Um, so what what did you, I guess, what if you can put yourself in the mindset of you know, 12-year-old Peter back in the late 90s, early 2000s, what was it about the Potter series that really kind of hooked you and and kept you coming back as a kid? I think it was a few things. Um, I'll first just go with the easy answer and say it was the fantasy, you know, going into a new world, which most of us say, um, specifically, you know, entering into essentially our world, you know, as muggles, but then like you can enter this this other part of that world that we didn't know about sort of a thing um that that was the main draw i would say and then the other part of it would be an achievement because i essentially could not read at 12 years old i really struggled with reading and my grandmother recognized that and she gifted me sorcerer's stone to help encourage me to to learn how to read and I sat down with my mom, read the first chapter, struggled through the first chapter, I should say. And it was just too difficult. Fast forward, 
a few months. My brothers had read the book. They were on to Chamber of Secrets and being the competitive older brother, I picked up the book again, read through chapter one, struggled through chapter two. And by chapter three, something just clicked. And I was really fully invested in the story. And then before I knew it, I knew how to read. And I finished the book on my own, was on to Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, et cetera. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's personal achievement, but also just the, the fantasy um, and magic of, of the world. So Stephen and I can see your massive bookshelves behind you. And anyone that has followed you on any of the social medias know you have tons of books and you collect the books. How did that start? Was that when you were younger or was that something you started doing older or is it something that organically happened? Yeah. So I've always been a collector. I've always, as when I was younger, I collected Beanie Babies and Pokemon cards. Um, and so it was only natural that anything I, I fall in love with, you know, I'm, I'm going to collect. It started in about 2001 when the movies started to come out that I started to collect the books. And um, I, I tell the story of a kind of a teaching moment that my dad thought he would give me. Um, the, the one book I, I really wanted was the U.S. Collector's Edition of Sorcerer's Stone. It's a beautiful book with gold gilding text block. And anyway, but I found one for $20 on a discount Scholastic website. They were selling for $200, $250 on eBay. So I knew that I couldn't afford it from eBay. Um, I still couldn't afford the $20 book. So I went to my dad and said, hey, dad, you know, can I borrow $20? Um, I could buy this book and sell it on eBay for $200. Um, and he, he, he said to me, you know, Peter, that's not really how things happen. You know, you can't buy something for $20 and can't sell it and, and then return and sell it for $200. Um, so he said, um, that he thought this would be a good teaching moment. So he let me buy the book listed on eBay and lo and behold, <laughs> sold for $200. And the thing he said to me was how many more can we purchase? <laughs> so we actually purchased about 10 more copies. Um, I paid him back, sold the others, kept one, and that created a collecting budget for me. So that's kind of what, what launched this collection was finding these discount copies and selling them on eBay. Um, so um, after that, started to collect some more rare books and really researching. That's one thing I always tell collect new collectors is to research, research, research. It is so important to research. And before you know it, you're going to have this knowledge that you didn't think that you would have. Um, so researched a lot, started to collect books. And then that led to discovering the different cover artwork in different countries. And I was so fascinated by how different countries um, interpreted Harry Potter differently. And being the natural born collector, you know, I had to collect them all or, or catch them all, you know, with Pokemon reference. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of what started everything. Um, that's that's my collecting story in a, in a nutshell. So how do we kind of traverse, I guess, what would be more than a decade? Um, yeah, more, a little more than a decade from, you know, I, I saw one of your recent photos where you posted your full collection back in 2015. Yeah. So how, how do we kind of fill that gap of time? And then, of course, you know, where we are today, where 
you know, I, I don't know what the inside of JKR's personal library looks like, but I have mm-hmm. to imagine that yours rivals hers in terms of its sheer magnitude. And frankly, I don't think impressivity is remotely a word, but it's a word I'm going to use here. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So, so between starting to collect and 2015, um, there were, there were kind of ebbs and flows of cl- collecting. So I, you know, at, at that age, um, I couldn't, couldn't really, I didn't have adult money to, to spend on collecting. Um, so, you know, I would get a book here and there. And uh, there were a few times where I just stopped altogether and sold a couple books. Um, and then re- and then realized, oh, I shouldn't do that. So then I restarted again and had to collect them all over again. Um, so 2015 is, is when I started on Instagram. I think it was 2015. It might've been 14. Um, that started on Instagram and that kind of just jump started my collecting all over again. Um, and it, by sharing the collection and meeting other collectors really encouraged me to my catchphrase, keep collecting. Um, so that's, that's, that's the gap in between, in between the, those times. Yeah. You know, I, I know there are a lot of other um, incredible collectors out there in the space so I don't want to speak in too much of a like a a definite kind of binary here but because certainly I know you know Carly is an incredible collector and and there are many others but to me you really are like the authority when it comes to like you know uh, identifying kind of potential value both from a story standpoint and of course a monetary standpoint of books Mm -hmm. in in every single translation and and publication and, and publishing edition across the world how does it feel for you as someone who, like you said, grew up with this story first in your hands as someone who didn't really know how to read to now fast forward, you know, two decades and, and to be one of the preeminent, you know, not to be too cliche about it, but Potter collectors, you know, in the, in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's weird. And, and I, I, if I were to be honest, I would probably agree that I, I am, but I also don't feel like I am. I just, I, I really do just feel like part of a, a giant collecting community or just Harry Potter community. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that would be my answer. It, yes, probably, probably true, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm, you know, the, the, the top and I, and I would never say like, I'm the top, you know, if that makes sense. Reminds me of a great Cole Porter song, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> that's from my Broadway quarterly podcast. Um, yeah, no, I, totally fair. It's just, you know, for me, even I grew up uh, as someone who always wanted to travel the world. And I did eventually have the opportunity and the great fortune to travel the world. And I, and I grew up as someone who loved Harry Potter and it was a form of escapism for me, not necessarily from anything bad, but just like for mm-hmm. many of us was a form of totally. Um, and so now for me, I, again, like I've got maybe 280, 290. So certainly not that many uh, in comparison. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of books. It's a lot of books. Um, and <laughs> considering I've moved across the country four times in the past four years, it really feels like a lot of books. Um, I just, I know for me, it's, it's this wild feeling to, you know, for me, I, I love collecting when I can the used editions from around the country, from around the world, because I can see people's stories, whether it's 
maybe a, a classroom note on the inside cover that someone wrote or, you know, this belongs to whoever and just to try to imagine the provenance. Um, and so for me, it, it's, it's wild. And so yeah, I, I appreciate that answer because I imagine it's different but similar that, you know, to think of who you were when you started this journey and where you're at now, it, it just has to be this fascinating kind of, you know, um, I'm losing my train of thought here, Danny, help me out. But um, it has to be this fascinating moment of kind of recognition and, and humility and, and just magnitude. Yeah, no, I, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and there's something that you said that I really loved. It's, you know, that you appreciate the story behind the books and seeing like a class note or something. Um, the, the, the first printing hardcover copy of Flush for Stone that I have in my collection. Um, so I'm in Illinois. It came from Wisconsin, actually. So the story behind that book, which I love, is it came from a, an elementary school uh, teacher's school library. So he and his wife in 1997 flew over to England to see what uh, British books, you know, they could bring back with them to the States. And Harry Potter happened to be one of the books on the counter. And it was recommended by the store clerk. And they said they read it and fell in love with it. Um, the book is not in perfect condition. There's a, 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 a private library of so-and-so stamped in, inside of it. And knowing the story and just know they, they purchased it in 97. So it had been read from 97 until about 2018 when I purchased it. So just to hold that book and look at it and just think so many potentially lives changed because of this book. Um, how many eyes, pairs of eyes have had read it? It just makes me so excited. You know, I would rather have that than, well, no, I, 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 let me rephrase that. I would rather have both. I would rather have that and a perfect condition copy. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get rid of that book, if that makes sense, because of the history of it. And that's what I love about the different books is just the history behind behind these different rare books, where they came from. I'll prompt you with a story here then. I've purchased a handful of books from you over the past couple of years. And one whose story I've told on this podcast before, but I've never gotten right. I, in fact, I would probably argue I've butchered it, is the Turkish, and I'll mispronounce it just for the fun of it, um, Buyulu Tas uh -huh, edition. Yeah. Do you, do you want to explain the backstory to that book? Um. Yes. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't know if it's how you said it, which I can't, um, I can't, I can't repeat or Bayulutas. I say Bayulutas because it's easier to say, but that is the first, the first edition of Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, but that translation translate to magic rock. <laughs> so, so, uh, it, it was then later changed. Um, after it was revealed that the translation was wrong um, to Philosopher's Stone. But that's what makes that book rare is because it has an incorrect translation and there weren't too many of them that were translated that way before it was fixed. It's a fun book, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I just, I, I just really appreciate trying to put myself in the headspace of, you know, a, a Turk in the early 2000s being like, 
something seems off here. This we don't like this. What's going on? And there being enough public pressure for them to actually change the publishing house, change the translation, the whole thing. That's just yeah. it's fascinating. It is. It is very fascinating. Well, as the not collector of the group here. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question, Stephen. What What's your favorite copy, or translation, or cover artwork in your collection? Oh, see, this is such a softball question that I knew was coming and I should have <laughs> back into my my Potter room and prepared for it. Um, I guess the couple that I really enjoy, um, I mean, that one certainly, just because from like a collecting standpoint, certainly has a rare quality to it. Um, my own personal first ever Sorcerer Stone that still has, I, I got it in second grade and it says like Stephen, you know, 2S in it. I'm on the inside cover and it's, it's so worn that the binding is split in the middle. So it's almost like I have two halves of a book. Um, I love that. I also really enjoy, I want to say, I guess I, I have a couple. Um, one is one I, I sourced from you, I believe it was a Cyrillic Russian um, philosopher's stone with the orange kind of outline and the gray Hogwarts express in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that would have been the adults um, yeah. edition. I, yeah. I just love that. He's going to find it, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's out of my reach. It's over there. <laughs> um, and then I guess the other, ironically enough, is another set of uh, Cyrillic Russian editions that I have. Um, so I started collecting originally as I would travel, like I mentioned, and now I've gotten into purchasing more and regardless of whether I go there or not. Um, but I did a, a trip in college to Russia and the whole trip, I was like, I need to find these books. Like, if I do nothing else on this trip, and it, we were 13 days into a 14 day trip, and we were walking through a flea market, and I, I found a bookstall, and I was so excited. It's like they're gonna have it here. They have to have it here. And I kept saying Harry Potter. I don't speak any Russian. And so the lady looked at me like I had seven eyeballs. I was like, okay. Like I thought Harry Potter was a fairly universal term in 2013. Um, apparently not. But as, as, as I was leaving, kind of dejected out of the stall, I saw the iconic, you know, golden uh, lightning bolt lettering. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm pointing and I'm jumping. And the, the woman goes, oh, Gary Potter. <laughs> yeah, Gary Potter. Um, so those are those are my favorite. And they don't have any, you know, they're soft covers. They don't have any, you know, inherent value to them. But I just love the story. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. That's I I, I envy you and that, those experiences. Um, I've never traveled, you know, and and well, no, that's a lie. I was in England and purchased um, a few a few books, but um, but they, you know, they were they were English books. Um, they were they were not translations, uh, basically. But um, yeah, I, I envy you for you know being able to travel and and actually collect them in the country that the language is spoken. That's very, very cool. Yeah. And Danny claims she's not a collector and that might be true, but she has collected for me before. Danny was on a trip to Greece. Was it? Oh, how many years ago was that? It was last year. I know it's crazy. That that was only last year. (laughs) That was the pre COVID summer. Yeah. Oh, so two years ago at this point. Two years. Well, don't play with my mind like that. Yeah, no, it was only a year and a half ago. I found it in the back of this really feels forever shop. Does feel forever. But yeah, I got you a Greek copy, and then I have one here, and then I have a mini set from Italy of the Fantastic Beast trio books. 
Oh yeah. With okay. footage through the ages. And I uh-huh. got those in Italy because that's where my family's from. Shut up, Steven. <laughs> and so I have those. Um, besides those, I'm working on the house edition, the Ravenclaw editions, okay. mostly because all of mine are my original set and all of their bindings are breaking because I've had them since I was a child. (laughs) That's another thing that I I am jealous of both of you is I don't have my original books, something, I don't don't know what happened to them, but they're long gone, which is unfortunate. Um, But Danny, you can't say you're not a collector. (laughs) You are absolutely a collector. No No matter how big or small someone's collection is, if you collect Harry Potter books or yeah. merchandise or anything, you're I a guess my wall so, proves sorry. that I'm a collector of something because yeah. I have a yes. Harry Potter artwork wall behind me. Yes. Yeah. So you can't claim you're not a collector. Sorry. Yeah, I try not to. <laughs> I And Steven has this personality and he dives into it where we have addictive personalities. And so once you start, you can't stop. Yep, I'll raise my hand to that. I choose to not start because it's a problem <laughs> in my life and I can't do that to myself. Well, you know, on the note of collecting things that aren't necessarily books, you know, I know from your social content, Peter, that you also have a ton of really impressive prop replicas and, and collectibles beyond the books. Do you have any that are either sitting in front of you in some way, shape, or form, or, or, or maybe recent editions that come to mind of, of stories for some some prop replicas you'd want to talk about? Um, let's see. So I was 100% books early on um, and, and 100% Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone. Like I said, I will never collect two through seven. I just can't do it. And I can't collect merchandise because it's too expensive. I want all the money to go into the first book. Um, so uh, it, you know, fast forward a, a few months after starting the Potter Collector on YouTube, um, merchandise started to uh, creep its way in. <laughs> so, and prior to that, I had already started collecting uh, books two through seven. But my favorite um, merchandise items are the Warner Brothers Studio maquettes. So the Warner Brothers Studio store maquettes were released in before the movies. So they're the the pre movie artwork. Um, or character likeness. So it doesn't look like any of the actors that played the the characters in the movies. Um, But they were released in 2000 or 2001, I'm not sure, but prior to the movies. And the Warner Brothers Studio Store closed down very soon after these were released. So they were expecting to release, is it 2,500 or 5,000? I have to check, hold on. Before I spew out incorrect, 2,500, okay. So they were planning to release 2,500 of each of the maquettes. They started out with Harry, Ron, Dumbledore, Snape, and Hagrid. I don't know why they wouldn't put Hermione in there because she's one of the trio. But started out with those five and um, closed down soon after their release. So there are about 500 of the Harry Potter maquettes and under 100 of the others. Hagrid is massive. He's 18 inches tall. And there are probably 20 of them that were released and a lot of them broken because he's hollow inside. So he just shatters if, if anything bumps him. Um, and then there was a second wave that was supposed to be released. Hermione was in that second wave, and um, but she never made it to production. But I do have a prototype. So she's just solid gray um, of, of the Hermione maquette, which unfortunately I can't own. 
in the uh, the released produced version. Um, but those are probably my favorite merchandise items. And then Noble Collection, you can't go wrong with the Noble Collection. I mean, their stuff is ridiculously good. Um, you know, when it comes to the broomsticks, um, Ravenclaw's diadem is my favorite replica by them. It's just stunning. You know how many books are in your collection now? I have not counted recently, but there it's between uh, nineteen hundred and two thousand books. Oh, so I don't, I don't think I've officially hit the two thousand mark, but I guess Getting I'd there. have to count count to find out. Well, so a good question I have is about the the physical construction of your collecting space, because having seen enough of the videos and the photos to get like a full 360 view of what you've got going on in that room, it's insane. It's incredible. And I mean, granted, again, I've moved a lot, so I can't really have too much of a permanent setup, but I always find myself kind of retrofitting my collection into existing shelves and, and cabinets and whatnot. How did you actually physically build what I'm going to call your Potter room? Um, so what I call it, the, the Potter Collector Library, um, it's it's made with Ikea bookshelves. <laughs> the uh, best, it's, it's not pronounced Besta, but it's spelled Besta, B-E-S-T-A. It's those shelves, which I liked a little bit more than the, the, the Billy shelves. They're a little bit more, um, they're a little bit more versatile when it comes to fitting, you know, different, different sizes and shelves in, in the space. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's all Ikea shelves and I had to cover two of the windows, actually the only two windows to make more space for books. And I may have to move the library. No, no, that's, that's, that's not correct. I am going to have to move the library into what is currently my bedroom across the hall and make the library, my bedroom in the very near future, because I'm going to need more, more shelf space. Yeah. I imagine the Potter collector library to be not wholly dissimilar. I keep seeing all these like images about the, I think, is it Danny will know the answer to this. Is it the Yale library that like hermetically seals itself off in case of a fire and just like, you know, excrete that can't be the right word excretes all the it, oxygen it pulls so all the like, oxygen yeah. off so it will save the books yeah that, that's what i imagine your collection your your collector library to be like i i so wish i had <laughs> had that technology um and now now i'm just mortified that you know i don't have something that will in your words excrete <laughs> the oxygen <laughs> uh, but i like that i like that definition or that definition of it um I, so now i'm i'm mortified i don't have that um everything is insured uh but you know there's things could happen and that would be yeah it would be devastating if if something happened you know even though i would you know everything's insured so i'm safe in in that front but it would take years and years to find these books all over again. And books are the things that get damaged very easily. Yes, yes. So so I do have, you know, smoke alarms everywhere, um, but that's kind of the best I can do. Does this just go on and on and keep kind of perpetually evolving, right, as, as different additions and cover arts keep popping up around the world? Is this something that... Is just going to keep propelling you to to keep collecting. 
A hundred percent. hundred percent. Yep. New stuff is being released all the time. There's, there was a new Italian set released recently um, that came a couple days ago. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, and then there's, um, uh, there was a new Slovak edition released. So it's, it's never going to end. There's, there's, and Harry Potter fans are never, not going anywhere. You know, we, we see that with our generation, you know, having kids and we're, they're teaching their kids about Harry Potter and these little kids are running around with, um, you know, robes and wands and um, older generations as well are, are still flooding into Harry Potter. You know, I meet a lot of people um, through comments that say, you know, they just started reading the Harry Potter books and I'm 50 years old. I'm 72 years old. Um, so it's just, it's cool to see that this quote unquote children's book is really an every one book. There, there is no age to Harry Potter. You kind of touched on it there, so that's a nice transition point. Be it through the comments on your content, both on YouTube and Instagram, through the groups that you're a part of on Facebook, through going to the parks, through going to conventions. Can you talk a little bit about the community, both that you've built as part of the Potter Collector, but also the community that you've kind of become a major part of within the larger fandom and what that's meant to you over the years? It's meant a lot. I've met some of my best friends through Harry Potter, uh, through the Harry Potter communities, which is really cool. And I'm sure you guys do um, have met some of your best friends through Harry Potter. Um, and that, I think, is is the most magical part about just the community and, and going to conventions and meeting people. Um, just talking to other Harry Potter fans is is fun. We all love the same thing. That's pretty much what it comes down to. That's how Steven and I met. We met at official celebration a few years ago. I don't know what year they played together. 2018. Okay. The last official celebration. Uh, just doesn't that kill you guys? It kills me. It kills me. It's painful. because You know, the unofficial... Go ahead. It was, just, it was just an amazing event. Yeah. I agree. The unofficial ones are great, but they, they don't just quite, quite, you know, make it as, 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 as great as the, the official ones were. Well, when you're also like nerdy, like me, I like panels. I love going to panels at conventions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, it's funnily enough. That's the one thing that Danny and I love doing at LeakyCon, which is when Brandy and Chelsea and Katie and, Everyone else, including you, are always showing off your cosplays and doing all these amazing photos. Danny and I are off learning about some panel about like the, the economics of the wizarding world. <laughs> yeah, or like the ancient medieval comparisons and historical precedent for the uh, unforgivable curses, right? Like uh-huh. that's what we nerd out on. Uh, but that's so interesting. There's 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 so much interesting stuff. The the, the wizarding world is so huge. You know, you you could study anything. Um, it just and it's so expanding. Hundred percent. Yeah, it is so fascinating. So, since we're talking about conventions, what about your cosplay? How did you get started with that? Because I think I'm like thinking back now. I think I have pictures of you before I knew who you were as Dumbledore. <laughs> oh, really? And um, probably during the uncelebrations, um, uh, I think I I Dumbledored at those. Um, so. It was, so for Order of the Phoenix, that's when I started to cosplay the release of Order of the Phoenix in 2003. 
And I cosplayed with my friend Steven, who cosplayed as Snape, and I cosplayed as Dumbledore. And my first Dumbledore robe was a throw blanket with frilly edges that I dyed red <laughs> and um, purchased a, a just one of those uh, costume store wigs and and beards. And that was my first Dumbledore cosplay. And then it just evolved um, after that. And Richard Harris, the Richard Harris version of Dumbledore is, is my favorite of the two. Um, so he's who I cosplay as when I cosplay as Dumbledore. And so so it started with the the blankets, robes, and then evolved into you know the robes that I have now, which are more elaborate. And I had a custom beard made with real human hair, a custom wig. I, yeah, I know you're you're making faces. <laughs> it's very clean, <laughs> and it looks fantastic. But custom wig co. They're, they're the the company I used, and um, they they make a a wig and beard set that just fits fits your head. Um, so it's it's evolved into what it is today, which is pretty cool. Your your Richard Harris Dumbledore. I mean, it looks screen accurate. Like you nail it. I, I I guess the first time I saw it in person was Leaky Boston in 2019. And I mean, that thing is spot on. And and I shouldn't really be making a face about the human hair thing seeing as I lack my own human hair on the top of my head. So I should take whatever I can get at this point. Um, but it's really, really well done. Well, thank you. Yeah, I definitely worked hard on it and just studied um, the movies, the first two movies, any angle I could get of that those red robes that he wears and the, the purple under robe that he wears. Um, yeah. Worked, worked, worked hard on it. So I appreciate that. So since you've answered one of the questions that Steven has high opinions on, you answered correctly. Um, favorite Dumbledores. I, I, uh-huh. I, look, I don't trust someone who tells me Michael Gambon is the better, better Dumbledore. I just can't trust them. I'm sorry. To all the former guests who've been on this podcast, and I've had to sit here and kind of smile my way through your answer, I still respect you, but I can't trust you. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I have to agree. I have to agree. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree 100%. I don't know if Richard Harris could have done what, Michael Gambon did in the pre the the later movies just because of his his age. Um, but I'm sorry, Richard Harris is Dumbledore. He's the Dumbledore I imagined, with maybe a little bit more spunk. Um, but he's the Dumbledore I imagined, and I have to agree. Yeah, and any and yeah, any any actor who yells "Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire?" you know <laughs> is is not Dumbledore. I'm sorry, not Dumbledore. So where does Jude Law fall into your rankings of Dumbledore's um he would be number three um just because it's it's kind of a separate it's like a, he's like a different Dumbledore almost yeah um so it's it's Richard Harris then Gambon and they're kind of the only two that I even think about I didn't even remember Jude Law until yeah. you said that I think um, it was Alex when she was on said that we don't have enough information yet to allow her to rank yeah I like that I like that. I might be wrong with the person, but no, that's that's a good answer. I do wish that they made him look a little bit more like Dumbledore, because in you know in Chamber of Secrets, I'm I'm off on the timeline a little bit, but Chamber of Secrets, you know, we see the younger Dumbledore talking to Tom Riddle, 
Um, so to see like Jude Law with no beard yet, you know, he wouldn't have a beard as long as, <laughs> yeah. as the one in, in that flashback had or that the memory had. Um, so I, I wish that they had kept a little bit along the, the same lines um, of Dumbledore look wise, but I guess, what are you going to do? Pretty much. So let's go into a smattering of opinion-based Harry Potter questions. Okay. No wrong answers now that we have passed the Dumbledore question. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> favorite character? Dumbledore. Least favorite book? Or least read, not necessarily that you don't like it, but... Okay, le least read is probably Order of the Phoenix just because it's so big. Um, least favorite book is, is Prisoner of Azkaban. Why? We get that one. Well, we get that one as the no. favorite a lot, and you've like know, done the know, exact I, opposite of our normal I, answers. I, no, I, I saw your, I saw your, your, your brain moving. Our, um, well, the normal response is yeah, yeah. favorite book is Azkaban, least favorite yeah. is Chamber, it's, and your exact opposite. Yeah. So for Azkaban, I think I like the the Voldemort storyline, or Voldemort, I guess I should say, as it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, and there is no Voldemort in there. Um, you know, a lot of people love Sirius Black. I just, he, he's never really intrigued me as a character. Um, and I think what I love about Chamber of Secrets, in addition to all the mystery and, and the comedy in it, is it was the book where we went back to Hogwarts. So we left Hogwarts in year one, but now we're back. And then year three, it's kind of like, we're back again. And there's there's less, there's less mystery almost surrounding in, in, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, if that makes sense. And I really like the mystery behind everything. Do your movie favorites and least favorites line up with your books? Um, Chamber of Secrets is a favorite movie alongside Deathly Hallows part one and the first half of part two. The second half of part two is when everything goes cinematic. <laughs> I feel like Deathly Hollow, Chamber of Secrets and Deathly Hollows part one and the half of part two were very, for the most part, book accurate or the most book accurate when you look at the other movies. And as soon as Neville starts talking, that's when everything kind of goes off <laughs> base a little bit. Um, and I just finished listening to Deathly Hollows on audiobook. They didn't need to change anything. Everything they needed for those movies was in the book. Um, so it, it makes me a little mad thinking about all the things they changed. Um, but yeah, so, so they kind of align, uh, favorite alliance with my favorite book. I really like Prisoner of Azkaban as a movie. Least favorite movie would be Goblet of Fire because it's all over the place. It is all over the place. Worst yeah. adaptation. Oh, in, in, in so many ways. Oh my God. It doesn't have anything to do. I mean, well, part of it is Dumbledore's screaming at harry but there are so <laughs> many things about that movie that are are incorrect yeah that's no no more needs to be said there um, yeah <laughs> so i suppose excluding both portrayals of dumbledore because i think you could make an argument um that this would be that either would be the answer to my question here what was your favorite actor portrayal of a book character and what was your least favorite actor portrayal of a book character <laughs> Favorite would probably 
probably be favorite would probably be Hagrid or Snape. And then least favorites would be see this this could be controversial. <laughs> but least favorite would probably be well, I mean there are I don't. I'm biting my tongue saying this. Are you about to say uh, Harry? No, not not okay. about to say Harry. I thought he. I thought the trio were was great. Um, I'm about to say Neville wasn't portrayed as well as as he's written in the books. Um, not that Matthew Lewis is a bad actor, but you know he maybe had some bad directing. Um, but then there are like smaller characters like um, Barty Crouch. I thought that was a poor representation of the character. Um, Rufus Scrimgemore, Scrim, Scrimger, Rufus Scrimger also was, was another kind of minor character that wasn't portrayed very well, I thought. But um, for the most part, I think most of the actors did really well portraying these, these characters that we love. Danny, I don't know if I've ever even asked you that question. I'm sure I know the answer in some latent recesses of my brain, but um, who would you say are your favorite? Uh, I would say favorite is probably McGonagall. I mean, she's she's just a queen. Um, least favorite, I feel like I can't say Ginny just because I've heard you tangent so much on the podcast that I don't know if I have an opinion anymore because of your tangents. <laughs> Oh, she's so bad. I J- book Ginny might be like hot take might be my favorite character. I love in book books. Um, and she might be my least favorite movie. Oh, now Michael Gambon. She might be my second favorite or second least favorite uh, movie character. Um, which like no no shots at Bonnie Wright, who is a passionate advocate for conservationism and is just a wonderful human by all accounts, but. Oh boy, it's 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 like damp cardboard watching her act. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I could I could see that. Yeah. What what's your who's your favorite? Ooh, see, I don't list Alan Rickman as my favorite because I think he is a, a beautiful, wonderful portray- portrayal of Snape, but it's not what I read when I read the books. Um, so I would probably have to say McGonagall, although just to differentiate from Danny, uh, I would also say Umbridge is Mm -hmm. hauntingly well done. Agreed. She's amazing. I I never think of her because I hate her character so much. (laughs) So it never comes off as like great portrayal because I'm just like annoyed with her. Did you know she's married to Carson from Downton Abbey? That's something I learned somewhat recently. I did not know that. Yes. Which is just a look, obviously not that who they portray in in, on television or movies is who they are in their private lives, but I'd love to imagine a Carson Umbridge marriage. (laughs) So painful. That would be pretty painful. Actually. That would be really painful. Yeah. McGonagall was in my, my mind when I said Hagrid and Snape, Um, she just, is almost a little bit too nice in the movies. She's not as strict as McGonagall is in the books, um, but she is absolutely without a doubt up there as as favorites. See that I need to read. Oh, and don't the books. but don't get me started on 
one of the lines that she says in, in Deathly Hallows. Um, well, I guess I've started myself. Uh, she says, I've always wanted to use that spell. Do you really think a yes. witch as powerful as McGonagall has never used that spell? <laughs> so sorry. Even like sorry. young McGonagall being like, oh, I know this exists. Uh, We're going to test this out. Yeah. So anyway, so sorry. But that's not that's not Maggie, Maggie Smith. That's that's the writers, you know. Yeah. But oh, my goodness, that. Ugh. Anyway, OK, moving on from that. Well, well, we can move on from you having an opinion on it. But let me just say, I love when guests come on here and throw some high heat with a hot take, because that's usually my <laughs> So that was incredible. I, and I've never really thought about that too critically. That's, that's a good one. It, it gets me every time I see it, every huh. time. And she's all proud, like, I've always wanted to use that spell. It's like, what? No, you've used it before. <laughs> You're yeah. so powerful. Anyway. Okay, so final question. Okay. Recently, we are getting a lot of new Star Wars and Marvel content. What content would you like to see out of the wizarding world i would like to see all of it everything they want to throw i want to see it marauders um the journey of creating horcruxes you know everything tom riddle's backstory um lillian james the everything everything there's to, to see the founders of hogwarts i mean you can go on and on there is so much content that can be created. Come on, Warner Brothers, let's let's get going on it because you need to catch up. <laughs> Ooh, uh, like a limited drama series or some form of some form of like long form limited content that tr that traces Tom Riddle's descent into Lord Voldemort with the Horcruxes. Yes, that that is Ama it would be amazing. Yeah. Well, that's a good amazing. one. That's a really, really good one. Well, because my mind has always been, maybe because I'm just a fool at heart, my mind has been focused so heavily on like sitcoms and kind of like the lighter stuff, like like a, a buddy comedy. Like, so ben, this is not my original idea. This is Binge Mode's original idea, but like Law and Order, which follows okay. you know, the, like the Or Office kind of just like doing yeah. Kingsley Shacklebolt or leading the Ors around. Right. Yeah. Like the foibles of Ron trying to go through aura training. Like, I think that would be just hilarious. Yeah. Um, like some sort of workplace comedy set in Diagon Alley with Florian and Garrick Ollivander and all of them. But there's a lot of really good, albeit really dark content to mine that could be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good, good opportunities. So hopefully they, they, they get going. Hopefully they do. I, you know, it, it's funny. I, we don't need to dive too deep into this one tonight because Lord knows I've done it enough on this podcast, but you know, it, you, you could make the argument that galaxy's edge and the star Wars expansion, particularly in the parks at Disney doesn't exist. If not for the wild success of the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Um, and so it's funny how a lot of these things, even though they seem like it's, Oh, we have to follow them because they're doing this really great idea. Really are born out of this cyclical Oh, let me start that over cyclical kind of evolution of following the competition. Um, and so it's, it, you know, even though Harry Potter has been in the main cultural zeitgeist for 20 years straight now, um, it, it might take kind of something like Disney plus and, and the massive expansion over there to, to push Warner media into this. So we'll see. Yeah, I hope so. And you, yeah, you're, you're right on, you hit the nail on the head with galaxy's edge. 
it was absolutely born out of competition with with the wizarding world at universal so yeah very true yeah steven got to experience galaxy's edge this past saturday and we actually got boarding passes for rise of the resistance and so we were comparing that to what forbidden journey could be mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I, I agree i agree it's a it's a better ride <laughs> it's a but then again you know it's it's a ride in whatever 2000 i think it came out it it, it, it i think they i think it opened in that i think it opened at the end of 19 mm-hmm. and yeah, it was forbidden like journey was 2011 so there's a lot of time, but still a I mean, lot they, of cre- creation happening in between there. But I don't think that I know that they've just recently changed out the robotic arms in Forbidden Journey. So I don't think we're getting any updates anytime soon. <laughs> nope. The Dementors are still going to look. Yeah, they're still going to. Yeah. Unless, <laughs> unless uh, Seamus and his particular proclivity for pyrotechnics per our great Minerva McGonagall about five seconds before she uses the, I always wanted to use that spell, right? Unless he blows up the castle and then they get to start all over again. So there you go. Here's the hope. Hey, you know, there are, there are options. Problem solved. There are options. <laughs> um, so Danny, did we warn Peter about creator shout outs? Oops. Danny, you're so bad. Danny, you are so good at 99% of running this podcast. <laughs> the one thing you never do any week is remind the guests of what we do, but this should not be too much of a Herculean task. Peter, one of the ways that we end every episode is by providing creator shout outs for the week. So that's just, it, it could be some of your friends on the gram. It could be someone who's caught your eye recently with, with content or maybe a nice comment, really any sort of shout out for someone in your orbit who you want to give some appreciation to. Hmm. Okay, let me think about this one for a second. Stephen, do you want to start with yours while Peter is thinking? Yeah, I can do that. So first is the same shout out I give basically every episode. Uh, my girl, Sydney Dean, Sid Sketched, she continues to be my personal favorite artist out there in the fandom art realm in and around the Wizarding World and of course other fandoms as well. She opened up her shop this past weekend on Etsy and... Um, while I am not her business manager, I have to imagine it was wildly successful because everything she touches artistically is, is gold. Um, so Sydney, once again, for like the millionth time, you know that I love you and you know that I adore the work you do. Um, so congratulations, I guess, keep it up. Some, some form of commendation here. Um, and the other shout out I have where... Here we go. Is to Hector, my Harry Potter corner, um, kind of in the vein of having a book collector here on the podcast today. Hector is a self-described digital creator, Slytherin, and adult Harry Potter collector who takes some really cool photos of some prop replicas, some just cool pieces of merch, and a lot of the books, and really nice use of some filters to draw out the color in the books and he just looks like a fun dude. So Hector, um, love your account. Thanks for what you do. I would agree. Hector has a great collection, great photos. Love it. Um, so I would shout out why, since I mentioned them, I'm going to shout out my real hair company, um, custom wig co 
on Instagram. They make fantastic wigs for any character you can dream up. <clears throat> Another one would be the illustrator of the Slovakian translations that just came out, Adrian Macho. He's a huge Harry Potter fan. He's Seaside Spirit on Instagram. Go to his account because he just created a life-size version of Fox that is probably the most stunning thing I've ever seen. I'm going to show you guys a picture of it right now. Yeah, Holy you're looking God, at it like, dang. what on earth? Yeah, it's stunning. Absolutely fantastic. Um, so so give him some love. I'm, I'm trying to convince him to make me one. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll buy your second fox if you if you want to make another um and then another one would be um my friend carly who you also mentioned all the pretty books um she is a great resource for for um signature authentication and just book knowledge in general when when collecting um i have others as well uh the ravenclaw seeker my friend adam uh, my friend mel the Harry Potter collection. It's, there's there's so many people I would love to shout out who are just great humans, but also great collectors. I'm going to shout out Bits and Bobbin Shop. She makes headbands and she just did Lord of the Rings ones and I just got them in the mail. So I'm very excited for Lord of the Ring headbands. That's fun. And then why don't you shout out where people can find you on any of the socials? I am on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Potter Collector, where you can just look up the Potter Collector. Also on Instagram at the Potter Collector and Twitter at Potter Collector because the Potter Collector was too long. I'm also on Facebook, but I have to admit, I don't know which which one is my handle. If it's the Harry Potter Collector or the Potter Collector, it's, it's one of those. Steven, do you have anything else? No, I just want to tell you how much of a pleasure this was. I genuinely... I I adore col- collecting books, collecting anything really. As Danny said, I have an addictive personality. I'm currently surrounded by about 350 pins on either side of me as we speak. Um, okay, we're gonna have to do a whole new podcast to talk about pins. Oh, deal, <laughs> bet. Disney, Disney, are they Disney pins? Like Disney pins, Harry Potter, Potter pins, pins, all the all oh, the yeah. pins. All he the has pins. a pin pod. He has a podcast that is dedicated to pins. Okay, I'm gonna have to have a listen to that because yeah, I'm yeah. Okay, sorry, I interrupted. No, no. <laughs> Look, any chance I get to plug the pin pod, go follow and subscribe listeners. Um, all about it. Um, no, I mean, whether it is following your content just to be immersed in the amazing world of collecting, you know, for me to be able to pick up a book and and again, like we talked about the stories behind that, but also throughout COVID, to pick up a book that arrived from um you know hungary or that arrived from japan and be like i haven't left my couch in you know six months but this book just got to me from around the world that's super cool and if i can't experience that personally to be able to follow kind of your content your journey with that you know as i've had friends go to the parks i know i've sent them some of your some of your youtube content um i'm thinking of the hag ride video in particular which was one of the first ones I saw when I was like, okay, I'm going to spoil it for myself and I'm just going to watch. And it was incredible. Um, yeah, you, you just are, are, are someone who, and I'm sure this is true for quite literally thousands of people. I'd like to say thousands of our listeners, but I, I am not that naive to think we even have thousands of listeners unless Danny's been holding out on me. 
yeah, you're someone who just brings a lot of joy and, and light and happiness into the community. So I just wanted to say thank you, really. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I love the community. I love Harry Potter. So any joy I can bring and add to it is, uh, is magic. So. Thanks so much for being on. It was a great conversation. Yeah, this was fun. This is really fun. It's always fun to talk about Harry Potter. And that is our episode. Awesome. We're really informal with the ending of episodes. <laughs> okay. Informal's yeah. good. Yeah, a year plus into this, we haven't figured out the ending. Usually I kind of just yell. Mm-hmm.